0: Hi there. Thank you for connecting with me and subscribing to Living the Sky Life podcast. I hope that the content of each episode brings you hope, connection, and some valuable takeaways. The special needs parenting village is large, so you should never feel like you have to travel this journey alone. Please connect with me through my Living the Sky Life Facebook page or Instagram account. And let's keep this conversation going after each episode airs. Thanks again for tuning in for Season 2 of Living the Sky Life. Welcome back to Living the Sky Life. I'm so excited to present my first guest of 2021, Nicole Hendrick Donovan. Nicole is an author, reflective storyteller, spiritual seeker, and teacher. Nicole is a former Montessori educator who has worked with a variety of students with various needs. After her son Jack's autism diagnosis, she became an ABA therapist and worked directly with children and families in the autism community. In July of 2020, Nicole published A Life Suspended, A Mother and Son's Story of Autism, Extinction Bursts, and Living a Resilient Life. Within the pages of her book, Nicole describes the path to her son's autism diagnosis and her journey to acceptance and unconditional love, not only for her son Jack, but also for herself. Whether it is through her memoir, workshops, or on essays on her blog, Donovan's Vulnerable Storytelling, cultivates compassion and understanding, opening a door where acceptance and empathy expand. In addition, she is a contributor for The Mighty, which is an online magazine for people with disabilities. So I present to you my conversation with Nicole Donovan. So I'm so excited to have my first guest of 2021 on the podcast today. Um, My guest is Nicole Donovan, who is the author of A Life Suspended. If you have not picked up her book, um, I will link all the ways to get her book, but I highly recommend this as a wonderful read of of another family's story. Um, I, I just love memoirs so much because it really gives us perspective into other people's lives and we can relate to so many things. So Nicole, so glad to have you on the podcast today. Oh my
1: goodness. Thank you for having me. It's such a wonderful, uh, way to sit down and talk about autism and talk about our journey together, even
0: though it's different. There's so many similarities. Yes, there are. And um, your book was phenomenal. I read it so quickly. Um, I just could not put it down. And I wanted to just kind of dive right into it. I'm not going to give a ton of stuff away about the book because I really want people to read it. Again, it's called A Life Suspended. Um, and you know what, what prompted you to just write the book and, and to put your life out there? You know
1: after everything happened my son was diagnosed uh with autism when he was seven and a half but it was after after a series of explosive behaviors and running out of school buildings and um and he is considered high functioning so they weren't really sure what was going on with him at first and so after this whole thing was unfolding and we were homeschooling him and having people come in and getting the diagnosis and all of these things that were happening. I thought after we got through you know, the hump of it, I thought, oh my gosh, this story, this is so important because I felt that I was not alone in it in terms of that there were other families going through this. There was other people struggling with trying to advocate for their children, how to understand what their rights were, how to, Um, not feel so, so term, you know, so unique that no one understood them. And Mm -hmm. so for me, it was really a passion project of bringing this story, my experience to the people that, you know, could benefit from it, whether it was educators that hadn't seen high functioning autism in this way play out in their classroom, um, or it was the neighbor next door who, you know, oh my goodness, maybe my grandson has something like this, you know, like just to bring awareness and acceptance. And also more specifically for the families that were in the thick of it, trying to get diagnoses or trying to figure out how to implement a behavior plan or work with ABA therapy or whatever their, their journey was. I felt like I wrote the story that I desperately needed to hear at the time, because I knew that, I was not unique in, in terms of this was happening all over the country, all over the world.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and you laid it out so well in the book um, of just how long that journey was. You know, most people that I talked to and probably you as well, other parents, we tend to get our diagnosis around age three, age four, but it's, it's rare to have someone continually Seek a diagnosis, and you even mentioned autism early on, earlier than seven and a half, and mm-hmm. you were kind of disregarded when it came to that, and everything was chalked up at at what eight? What was ADHD first, or was what was the diagnosis that he had initially? He got several right before autism.
1: Yeah, yeah. He, we we always say he had to check all these boxes before they actually got to the root cause. <laughs> so uh, you know. Uh, which is not actually uh, unheard of. This happens quite a bit. Um, so his first diagnosis was just at the age of three with a with a, a speech delay. And so that that's when he started getting services. and then he, you know, I think it was like in first grade, he was his speech was getting so much better, but they, they looked at him and thought, well, geez, the reading, you know, the pre-reading skills are not quite there yet. So they were monitoring that. And then they were also monitoring he couldn't hold it together in class. So uh, I demanded to get a sensory processing um, evaluation, which they did not want to do. And so uh, I basically said, no, you need to do it where, you know, I'm signing the paper, I'm signing the request. And then we had one done outside of the school district as well. So then I would have two pieces of, um, you, know, uh, you know, two evaluations. That uh, you know could really make his profile, because I felt like that was actually a recommendation given to me by someone else um, that had a child on the spectrum and that was dealing with trying to secure services, because the criteria is different between what a school district will give you, at least here where I live, and what um, like you know medical will give you. It's just a different criteria. So I thought, well, the whole the real story is within both of these and what he needs. So um, that's what we did. But yeah, I mean, he, and then after that, after he got the sensory processing um, diagnosis, then right after that, the next one was ADHD, which was no surprise to me. Um, My other sons uh, have ADHD, my brother has ADHD. So we're we're well immersed in that, as far as like looking, knowing what that looks like. Um, And then after that, it was, um, you know, that he got some reading supports, and then he started having behavioral outbursts in first grade. And that's when it really, really got heightened.
0: Well, yeah, and I want to talk about the behavior, you know, I don't get to talk as much about behavioral issues and more specifics with a lot of guests. Um, And, you know, I think it's important because as I said in the beginning, um, you know, I related to many, many things in your book, but um, for those who know me, I mean, Skylar, my son is very low functioning, if you would say that, nonverbal, it's a completely different scenario and end of the spectrum with autism than your son, Jack. And so, It doesn't lessen the fact that the behaviors are still behaviors. The things that I deal with are different than what you deal with, but it doesn't change how significant and how much that impacts a family in a negative way a lot of times. So can you outline some of the behaviors that were most troublesome with Jack? Um, You know, I guess they've classified him and you've classified him as higher functioning. And I hate those labels anyway, but Essentially, yeah, that me means his, his speech delay has, um, you know, kind of r- rectified itself, I guess, would you say? I mean, he has quite a bit of speech and he's very clear with his with his words and his statements. At least I'm gathering that based on what I read. Um, yes, yes. I mean, I think it
1: was more of like a processing delay. It was like a mm-hmm. receptive delay where we would say his name over and over and over again. And then, you know, by the... F- third or fourth or fifth time then he would hear it or you know like so he just wasn't or like we would give him a directive and it it was it took a while for it to click of what we were asking so that was more of what we were dealing with and then you know in in uh, his his the clarity of which he spoke at three was not uh you know typical was not typically developing so they were working on that as well um so it was more of a a lighter speech delay, um, but it still needed, you
0: know, therapy and it still needed to be addressed. Right. So his, his way of acting out then, I mean, is with his words a lot. Um, and I know you've referenced some of those things in your book and his behaviors and eloping and things like that. So can you talk a little bit about just over the years, what, what the biggest, issues have been with behaviors with Jack? Sure. You know, I think specifically when we,
1: you know, were when he was eloping from school and we ended up taking him, this is, you know, he was seven and a half at the time, eight years old, when we took him home and and brought people in to educate him and, and ABA therapy to, uh, to help with the behavior and help with, you know, in, to put in a... a behavior planned for Jack. That's when it got really intense at home. So when Jack was acting out, it was only, in, it was really only in school that he was running from the building and that he was clearing desks and that he was shouting profanity at the principal and, um, and, and punching teachers, like he was really acting out. And for him, that the, the, um, the reason, the function of his behavior was escape and avoidance. Because what they didn't understand, not only it was he on the spectrum, but they didn't understand that he also was dyslexic. And that, that came later, that diagnosis came actually after his autism diagnosis. So they were having him do these things or prompting him to write or prompting him to do, um, you know create product. And he was like, he didn't really have the, the language because he was young, I don't think it was necessarily so much of a speech delay, but certainly his disability, like he didn't have the expression to say, I can't do this, or they didn't listen to him. However, that happened, he wasn't, he wasn't being heard. So then he, he kept amping up his behavior. And so they were not, of course, he didn't have, they didn't have all the information. So they were feeding the fire So, when he came home and we were dealing with his behaviors, um, you know, here having tutors and teaching him, and and they were all trained in ABA. And and at that time, in the beginning, we didn't have that diagnosis of, of autism. But they, you know, they started putting a behavior plan in place because I think they pretty much. I mean, the BCBA had an idea that that's probably what was coming down the line was this was this diagnosis. Uh, not to say that other children can't have a, a behavior plan that is that do not have a diagnosis of autism. Um, that's certainly uh, you know plausible. And does happen, but so for Jack, once we started putting these these um, parameters around what was expected and what was not expected, and making him, you know, like just holding him to that task, that's when we started seeing the behaviors amp up at home. So of course, you know, some of the behaviors were safety. You know, he was throwing things out the window. He was taking knives out of the drawer. He was running from the house when I would take him out into the community, I was always, always on high alert. Like, oh my God, is he gonna bolt from the car? Is he going to hit somebody in the supermarket? Is he going to, you know, whatever, there was a constant cascading of of worry and dread and fear that was going on within my mind as we'd be out. So, you know, you have a child Or any children, any any kids that we have, no matter what, what, what their makeup is, is they feel what we are giving out. So I'm sure that my highly sensitive little man was feeling every fear whether i expressed it or not cuz i was on i was like a ninja <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah. i'm sure uh, you know he 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 could feel that as we were out and about so i mean definitely safety was the top priority you know keeping him safe keeping us safe keeping you know that was definitely yeah i mean he wasn't like he like i i didn't have the fear that he was going to disappear in the middle of the night uh, you know i've read some other um people that have children that will escape at night or have to lock their house like that's that's so scary to me um we luckily we didn't have that it was more like he would have a behavior he would spike and there would be a reaction to that so it was more of that and he he was always a pretty good sleeper so gratefully we didn't have any
0: um things go on in the middle of the night so yeah i mean Gosh, I don't know how any of us sleep or rest anyway, but to have that added worry on your mind, I don't know how I would ever sleep at night if I was worried about my child, you know, sneaking out of the house or whatever and running around. Um, But, you you know, you said something that um, clicked with me a couple of years ago. It was, you know, it sounds like it's obvious. It's something that I should already have known. But I didn't realize until, like I said, a few years ago that I regulate. The behavior in the house, as far as my son goes. So, if I'm, you know, if we're spelling together or we're doing something and I'm getting frustrated and, you know, they go so much by your facial expressions or just your mannerisms, uh, especially if they're nonverbal, I'm going by his, he's going by mine. And if my temper is rising and it, he can definitely feel the tension, he hits me more or he, you know, will swipe the letterboards off the table and, I I've worked so hard and I'm always working every single day at trying to just keep, you know, my temperament, even keel like one level and not to overreact every time he hits or does something. Cause he's going to do it. So I, I, mm-hmm. need, I already know that. So me getting upset, doesn't change anything. And he seems to be better when I'm calmer. And I just kind of, even my tone of voice, when I say, you know, we're not supposed to do that. And I kind of am I don't know, a tone I wouldn't take with my daughter, who is neurotypical, because she would think, oh, you're not serious, you're laughing. But with him, I have to take a different tone, if that makes any sense. (laughs)
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's so true.
0: Yeah. Well, and that kind of leads into, you know, my next question, Um, you know, throughout the book, the bulk of the book, you're talking about the school system and public school and trying to get services for Jack and trying to um, get the administration really is what I took from it uh, to be on board and to try to support your son and your family. And it seems like you were just beating your head against the wall most times. Um, And what seemed like you were dealing with staff that wasn't um, educated as much as they should have been in the roles that they were in, especially the, I forget what the label was of the person that is over all of the special education departments. Um, it yeah, it was, he was the surprising head of, that they, yeah, that yeah. they had to change his title because he didn't really have special education experience. Right, right. <laughs> that blew me away. Yep. Yeah, you kind of like lead into that a little bit.
1: Yeah, I mean, so you know, this was our first child with uh, this level of behavior and need of support and he was our last child. Um, You know, so for us, the best thing that we did was we hired an educational advocate and anytime anybody asked me, you know, do you have any advice? I say, hire a seasoned educational advocate. It is the best money, best time I've ever spent. And um, because as a parent, I was juggling three other children, a household, Jack, his behavior plan, you know, all of these things. And then having the, the stress and the pressure of, are they going to take services away? Are they going to, you know, are they going to give him the support that he needs? You know, what is their evaluation going to look like? You know, all these things that I didn't necessarily understand until I was in that position of needing supports and needing things for my child that, you know, that needed it to get educated, it wasn't that I just it would be a nice thing to have it was these are essential for him to succeed. And, you know, just the level of anxiety that would, that, you know, would course through my body th- throughout the day no matter what I was doing and then to go into these meetings and have you know someone that you know would say one thing one time and then change his mind and and go in a different direction the next time something that we actually had suggested you know but it was his idea it was just a weird dynamic and I think I think that you know It was challenging because it is very hard as a parent not to take it personally. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm in the trenches with this kid every day, and you're not hearing us. You're not supporting us. You're dragging your feet. So it's very hard to feel, to not feel abandoned, you know, to not feel um, like it was personal. Um, And that's stuff that I, I had to work through with a professional. Like I, mm-hmm. it, it was really challenging. I was very, I was resentful. I was really stressed out, you know, and it hit me. And actually I didn't even put this in the book. There was one one situation uh, and we were in the thick of it, you know, dealing with trying to get services and him back in the school district and all this stuff. And I ran into a neighbor at the grocery store and she asked me how I was doing. And, you know, sometimes like people just say it cause it's what you say, it's not really what you want to hear. And that was the situation. She was just, oh, how are you? A toss away kind of, this is what we say. And I told her exactly how I was and she, and I was saying, oh, we're still fighting And, da, 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 da. and she said, she looked at me and she goes, well, sometimes you just need to let it go. And uh-huh. I wanted to, I really wanted to harm this woman. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm like, you have no idea. Wow. And, at that, and at that point, I was like, oh, so two things happened. I felt even more unsupported and, and, and like I was losing my marbles. And secondly, I felt like, oh my goodness, I do not want to be this woman that is constantly seething and angry and resentful. Like, that's not who I am. I am not a victim. I do not I'm not a martyr. Like this is not what I want to embody in my life. This is not the energy I want to bring to the world. So at that point it was such a lightning bolt moment where I was like, okay, you need to like you need to let some of this you do need to let some of this go. But it doesn't mean that you don't need to still fight for your kid. It doesn't mean that you need to lay your lay your your sword down and walk away. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, so I had,
0: so, I had to balance that. It's just so hard because your child only has you, you and your husband and his brothers. I mean, like and people don't understand that. And it just was, it was making me upset reading the book. And I was, um, my heart was breaking because it just seemed like, the, the solution that they kept suggesting was, well, we need to send him to a different school. We need to, They just, they didn't even take much time to come up with as a group collectively, like, okay, what is the best solution for my child? What, what can we do to accommodate him and not disrupt the other kids? There has to be situations that have been like this that are similar, maybe not in one way or the other as severe, or more severe in a different direction, but there has to be a team to work together instead of just getting rid of him. And I mean, it just broke my heart that they wanted so badly to keep him out of that school that he was in initially. Yeah. And that's more
1: patient than I would have been. Well, well, I, I, you know, it was interesting because when we were at the table and they said, this is after he eloped from school the third time and, uh, injured, you know, their staff that was injured and it was really, you know, they, we, we almost took it to a lawyer. Like it, they, they, they did not handle it correctly. He was in in harm's way. Like it was bad. It was not a good situation. And, and we were at this meeting and, and, you know, the recommendation came down that he sh- to go to the school. And we ended up looking at the school and it was the absolute wrong placement for him. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and what, what was interesting and beautiful was that my husband, he's just such a like level-headed he executes with, with such, um, I don't know, just, uh, he's just very, I don't know, center-minded, like he's, he's very logical. And I said, you know, they said, well, this is what we recommend. And I said, is this the only, uh, is this the only school? And they said, that's the only option on the table. And I was like, A, how can that be? And B, oh my God, I guess we have to send them there. Like, I didn't understand my rights as a parent is that I could refuse. Yeah, You know, and they give you, I mean, they give you the packet of like what your rights are. It's a lot to read. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a lot of jargon in there. So I'm, I, I, so this is not to say that they did not hand me these things at other IEP meetings where I, I, I had a packet of what my rights were. It was just in that moment, I was I felt pressured to, oh my God, He's not going to be in school. What are we going to do? You know, all that worry and and fretting over that. And my husband's like, no, we're not doing that. That's not the right placement. He's not going there. And that's why we pressured them to try to figure out a solution because a by law and by his rights, he deserves an education. That's their responsibility. And so it's not our responsibility, it's their responsibility, but it's our our responsibility together, as you said, to work together to come up with a solution. And, you know, we ended up really rolling up our sleeves, you know, and we really ended up, you know, putting something together for him. But it took a lot of grit and a lot of meetings, a lot, a lot of meetings. Um, You know, I don't. We were really lucky at the time that I could walk away from my job and be home with him um, that we weren't devastatingly impacted financially. So that was a gift. Um, My husband had flexibility where he could go to these meetings that were sometimes once a week, you know, every three weeks, once a month, like there are, I'm not kidding. There's a lot of meetings, you know, so you know, and that's that's just with the school district and his team. That is even I'm not even talking about meetings that were for evaluations and for appointments and all of those things. So there was a lot of time and energy poured into this trying to piece together a program that was individualized for Jack, for him to learn and for him to figure out how to regulate his body, which is all part of it. It's all part of his education and that was a requirement. So yeah, it it definitely it was it was challenging
0: it well worth it in the end but it was challenging It was a long process too you know our job as parents is is definitely not for the for the weak and the faint of heart because you know not only are we advocating for our child because we know them best but you also are in a position at these meetings to educate you know teachers And caregivers and just all of the people who don't live this every day at home. They leave their job at three o'clock, three thirty, whatever the school hours are. They go home and they don't have to deal with the rest of this and through the evening and maybe sleeping, maybe not sleeping, and then do it all again the next day. And I think that's the part that gets missed at these meetings. They all, you know, sit down together and then come in as a united group to then present to you and your husband okay, this is the alternative. This is the one option that you have. And God forbid the people who have to go it alone, who are single moms or single dads, they don't have an advocate with them. They don't know their rights and they just sit there and they are told these same things you were told. And they assume that that's, that's it. That's the end of the options. I have to do what they say And we just go with it and your kid gets hurt in the process. And the other thing I think about too, with Jack and and just any other child that is pretty much disregarded at a school and then is sent, you know, this is the only location, this is the alternative, this is where you're going to send them. You know, you even referenced it in the book a little bit about Jack's friends and people that he wouldn't get to see. And it's almost a punishment to him to have, it's not his fault. And he can't control these behaviors and these things. And it took you guys as parents to really dig deep and figure out what was setting him off, what the antecedent was, as you say. And, um, you know, it's so hard for us to try to break through to our kids and then to have a school district or, or whatever it is that we're fighting, you know, fight with us. Also, we're doing our very best to make our kids not feel like they are on an island and that there is something wrong with them. And then to be ostracized and sent away basically only gives him the message that he, you know, he's a problem and that you know he's being punished and he's gonna get his friends taken away and every teacher that he knows and all of these things. And it just, it, oh my gosh. I mean, it keeps me up at night just thinking of all of these things, um, especially with a, a child who can't speak for himself. Like, I'm just guessing, you know, (laughs) like, are we doing the right things? Is he happy? So, um, I mean, I'm sure Jack could at least explain to you guys later how grateful he is to still be in the program that he's in. Um, and that, you know, he, he understands and appreciates you guys fighting for him. I would imagine.
1: Yeah. He's so funny because, um, because, you know, he's had a lot of intervention, whether it's, talk therapy whether it's been you know ABA therapy he's been in occupational therapy he's had a lot of a lot of wonderful people helping him figure out how to manage his body and and articulate how he feels because these are things that did not come easy for him and so now you know we've had all these wonderful people in our lives over the last, you know, eight years. And, and he's at a, a, a school where um, he is, there's smaller numbers and it's a therapeutic program. And it's, it's, um you know, it's, it's been a wonderful thing for him because it is a school where there is kids that are considered, you know, high functioning, on the autism spectrum or have severe ADHD or have anxiety. So that's his peer groups Uh in his classroom. So that I'm like, oh, they speak with the same language. They have a lot of the same similarity. You know what I mean? Like, so, and and what's been beautiful for us is that, and it wasn't the school that they recommended. I'll just say that. (laughs) <laughs> we've we found a different school <laughs> but um, for him like it's just been a wonderful unfolding to watch him grow and learn and he 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 is funny he jokes he makes jokes um, he's lighthearted about his his um, and I hate the term disability but his diagnosis and he's differently abled I like to say um, but you know He's just, he's got such a light in him now that he didn't have before. He has such an acceptance because not only is he accepting of himself, he's looking at his peers that are attending this class with him or the school with him. And he's like, oh, they're like me. Um, but it took a long time to get there. And, you know, because he was so behavioral and, you know, he didn't understand. He's like, I think there was a part of him and he didn't really articulate this um, because he was so full of anxiety, but there was a part of him for a while that he, I think he really felt there's something wrong with him because he was so out of control. And so we decided at one point, I think he was around eight, around eight, eight and a half, maybe um, to tell him what his diagnosis was to, to okay. tell him like you have autism and this is you know and you have sensory processing disorder and 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 and, and that was kind of young as far as I understand like um, and we were like, okay well hopefully hopefully he'll digest it in a positive way and be able to accept himself and 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 that's what it ended up happening over time and I thought that giving him that information about, about, you know, this is, this is some of the reasons why, this is how your brain works, this is how your body, you know, gets the messages, you know, all of that stuff, I think that was fuel for his understanding and his acceptance. So it was, it was a positive experience for us.
0: Well, and I think you as a, as a mom know when the time is right. And, you know, I don't know that there's necessarily an age that you should approach that conversation. I mean, Jack is very smart um, again, I'm gathering all this by what I read, but your book was so thorough. I feel like I know you and I know your family. Um, but you know, I, I loved the approach that you took initially with the book and kind of walking him through an Asperger's story and, um, you know, seeing if he would make the connection himself between some of the, the statements in the book and to his own life. Um, and it was quite comical, your spin on it and the, and what he took from it initially. But I think, um, Didn't you revisit it maybe a year or so after that again, or a little while after that? And in a different frame, you framed it up differently about how creative of a mind he has and how, you know, just very intelligent he is. And some of his body doesn't allow for that to be shown because it distracts him. And he understood it that way when you presented it differently. Yeah, well it was funny because you know he is a he is a
1: he is a smart a smart kid and um I really think the first time we read it through he was trying to push it away that he uh-huh. didn't want to take it in. And so then you know he reacted the way he reacted and then I told his therapist and she said, "Well, read it again." So then a few days later we sat down and he was like, this again, yeah, I'm like, yes. And then I went through and I said and I made points of the similarities. Like you have, you know, loud noises which was part of the book, loud noises affect you and you cover your ears, you do that as well. Just like this character does and like just trying to make those connections for him so we could have those conversations. And he wasn't, he wasn't real happy about that. Um, But I think that It started. It started the awareness that I see this. I know that you're starting to see this, and this is what is. This is reality. Like loud noises do bother you. You know what I mean. Like just trying to like. This is this is real. And um, and then you know certainly over the course of that first year, he was. He his therapist was an art therapist, which was fantastic. Um, as long as you didn't put a pencil in his hand, sometimes because that might set him off. But you know, they would create with like tactile things, and and one of the things. So she treated one of his older brothers, and he ad- idolized one of his older, you know, his his older brothers, and they. She described ADHD as having a lightning bolt brain. and or that's how my older son described it and so she was sharing that with Jack and he was like that's awesome you know like so then he (laughs) he latched onto that like because his brain was constantly clicking 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 away and that sometimes you do feel out of control when your brain is constantly going but if you flip that to a positive like wow I, I, I I have all these thoughts and I have all these ideas and I have all these things and And it just for him, so for years and years, he had this stained glass, it was like on plexiglass, lightning bolt that he did with some kind of like paint gel that he made at her in her office. He had that on his window and the light would come through and it would remind him that that's a positive. That's a positive to
0: how your brain is wired. That's a beautiful thing. It is beautiful and that's so smart and it was so cool to tap into that for him. And also I think your use of, Celebrities or like Einstein and other people to relate um, with this, a similar diagnosis um, to him. It seemed like that resonated with him as well.
1: Yeah, just really trying to normalize it um, mm-hmm. be, because you know I, I I just have the belief that we all have wiring and it there it it it's you know and and some of it goes this way and some of it goes that way and it's just the spectrum and that you know. It's, it's a beautiful thing to be able to accept everybody where they're at and to shine the positive light on what that looks like and in the, in the beauty that's there. And I just feel so strongly about that. And I wanted him to be able to feel good about himself. I want them all to feel good about themselves.
0: Yep. Who are we to say what normal and typical is? I certainly am not normal <laughs> in lots of respects. <laughs> um, you know, you mentioned a little bit ago, we were talking about your husband, Mike, um, and just the way that he is super supportive. And um, clearly there's a teamwork between the two of you. I mean, to raise four sons, first of all, gives me like <laughs> all kinds of anxiety. I don't even know how I would do that. But, um, you know, just Again, quoting him in the book and some of the things that you know at the meetings that you mentioned were his comments, and he is level headed. He reminds me, um, I think I I shouldn't generalize, but I think a lot of men are this way where the moms are more the emotional side, and we you know internalize everything um, with an emotion attached to it, and our husbands are more matter of fact, like, Well, tell me why this is the way it is, and I, I would like you to explain that further you know, and not get caught up in the, like you said, you almost wanted to cry at several times for Jack. Um, so what would you, you know, say has been the connection with, um, you know, where Jack is concerned and you and Mike and all your boys really, I mean, he's your, Jack is your fourth. Um, Mm -hmm. so has your relationship evolved over time? Um, Because of a lot of the things that you have to, you know, conquer together with, with all of your sons and and especially Jack.
1: Yeah, I, I, think, um, you know, gratefully when my husband and I got together, we, we had stuff, you know, we had some baggage, you know, so we, I know, you know, for me, I, I started counseling really young you know, um, I was yeah. 19. <laughs> yeah, like, like, this is a lifelong journey. Like I joke and say I have, I have my therapist on, um, on a retainer, because I'm always, you know, there's every few months, you know, year, whatever, I'll check in and get a tune up, I call it. But, um, you know, so I think for us, you know, we were, we were caught, we were always working on a relationship, because we spoke a different language, whether it was because I was a woman, and he was a man, or we had different uh, you know, parenting, uh, backgrounds in terms of like, you know, how we were raised and, and, and whatever, whatever that was, we spoke a different language. So we needed, we needed help. So we, we started counseling, you know, actually before we got married, which was one of the smartest things I think we ever did. Uh Um, and then over the years we've, we've gone and, and, and had tune-ups, you know, periodically because something will come up and, and it's always helpful to have somebody that doesn't really know you, that is, you know, uh, witnessing and, and can give you some feedback, right? It's not involved, it's not, you know, attached to the outcome. And so, you know, for us, we worked so hard by the time we got to Jack and certainly, you know, there were, there were times when, you know, we, we would have differences of opinions and things like that and how to raise the kids or whatever. But for the most part, you know, we had our roles and that has worked well for us you know, I was the house manager and still am and, and taking care of all the things, you know, that the kids need. So, and he does other, you know, he, he, he has a full-time job and he's, you know, he's the dad. So our rules were pretty defined when we went into it. There were times when we would, we would get to a place where he wasn't sure of how to execute the behavior plan, or I would, go out, which was rare, but I would go out um, to meet a friend or something like that. And I would be like, oh my God, is he going to, is he going to be able to know exactly what to do? Because I was so attached to doing it right. And because I just wanted these behaviors to go away as quickly as possible. And that we were in an, an extinction burst period. So, you know, in that, time frame, it was like, I was just white knuckling everything. So there were times when we were in it that I would be like, oh, have fear around whether he was going to do it correct, uh, you know, you know, quote unquote, correct <laughs> my way or the way it was laid out. And that, you know, those times were a little stressful, you know, and and, and I think he felt like, geez, I, I didn't do it right. Or, you know, because it's a, it's, a, it's a hard thing, you know, because I was really doing a lot of the, you know, the trench work, the day by day, the day in, day out stuff. And he was coming in, which was a benefit in terms of he had this view of what was happening and I was so close to it. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I I think that for us, we've done a lot of work um, around our marriage, around how to raise kids. um, And, it's really it's paid off, you know, that 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 investment of time and that investment of being open to to listen and to try new things and to look at what isn't working. You know, it's it's um you know it takes it takes love, it takes work, it takes dedication. And uh, you know, I'm not telling you anything that or your or your listeners anything that they don't know. <laughs> it just does.
0: Well, but it's hard. Sometimes people, you know, just focus on their children and, um, you know, the marriage sometimes goes by the wayside. I have been, I was married before my current husband and I learned a lot about myself and about being a parent and about, you know, what I needed and what relationships needed to, to be strong and to, to work. So, um, there's a lot of mom's out there and dad's out there going it alone. Um, there are a lot of single parents raising a special needs child and I, it's it's hard. I mean, I did it for quite some time and um, it's difficult. So anytime that I, anybody that has, you know, I mean, obviously everyone has issues, little or large or whatever, but when there's a relationship that's unified, I always like to highlight that and just, you know, ask for pearls. And I think counseling is a, an excellent one. I think that individually and together that can only benefit a relationship because it's hard to not be resentful of each other, especially when you're going on like an hour of sleep, a lot of nights or Mm -hmm. behaviors. I mean, in your book, you highlighted some of the things that touched me, um, where, you know, you're, you're getting hit, you're getting hair pulled or the therapists are getting hit. And it's just a lot to take that kind of abuse that, you know, your child doesn't mean, um, but then, not to get frustrated and snap at your spouse or whatever because you've had a really long day at home with your child all day and they've mm-hmm. been out of the house working. And um, it, it's definitely hard not to be resentful of them getting to take a break and get out of <laughs> the situation. Um, you know, kind of to that point, what do you find that you've been able to accomplish on your own as far as taking time for self care? Um, In the, in the book, you talk a little bit about, you know, being forced to take some self-care due to anxiety and panic attacks that kind of crept up on you out of Mm. nowhere. So um, I wanted to know if you're still running, if you're still doing yoga or what you have found, and if you're able to carve out time for yourself to get a break from being the house manager that you are. (laughs)
1: Yeah, no, it, it's, it's true. And, and um, I was so grateful that my husband, you know, at the time, I mean, we were, like I said, we were in the thick of it, but he, he knew that I needed to have that time to just reset, to hit the reset button um, and to breathe. And so I was, uh, I, i started running that was a suggestion that was given to me um that was very (laughs) short-lived all those runners out there yeah i i you're amazing um yeah it just was never i was never an athletic kind of person so i thought well you know, endorphins are good, right, that's, so I'll give this a try, it's a good <laughs> exercise, but it just didn't stick, but what did stick was taking that time out in nature, and walking the trails, and for me, when even, you know, this is a practice that I've been doing for a long, long time at this point, is that there are some days I'll go for a walk in the woods, and, uh, you know, I'm fortunate, I have a lot of nature trails around me, I live, you know, on Cape Cod, but we have a lot of uh, woods. So even going out on a walk, I'm able to just maybe have a conversation with, with God and, or maybe with myself or just to like shed the day, you know, like I literally visualize as I walk sometimes if it's been a lot or I feel overwhelmed or disconnected with myself, I'll literally like feel the energy of discontent and frustration and whatever, just fall away from my body with my steps, you know, each pounding footprint that I make. It's like I'm shedding the day, I'm shedding what's going, you know, I'm shedding that stuff that I'm carrying. Because I think as parents, particularly of special needs kids, you know, we carry so much, we carry so much. So I think by having these practices, I still do yoga. I love yoga. I meditate uh, very regularly. I have practices um, where I just try to get in stillness, be more mindful. And those have come over the last, I want to say three to four years. I've done yoga for a long time, but I want to say the meditation and the mindfulness practices about three to four years, and that was something that I was able to implement, as I had a foundation in yoga, and I had a practice of walking, and I my kids were getting older, you know. So these are things that built over time, and so people say, well, how do you, how did you do that, and how did you get time for yourself? And well, a, I was forced in the beginning, but b, like for me, like just even if it's like I tell people, even if you're just going outside and walking the perimeter of your yard and taking like three deep breaths, that's a start. Or you're at a stoplight and it's red and you just take a deep breath and exhale, that's a start. You know, start where you are. And I think that that is really freeing because it was really empowering to me that it didn't have to be A huge chunk of time. It could just be a few breaths. It could just be reading a page in a book that I really liked or having a cup of tea. It didn't have to be complicated. And that was such a gift for me to have that awareness and then take that in as a practice.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I think when we talk about self-care and time alone, I think people do visualize that. Well, I can't go to a gym. I can't start an exercise program. I can't, you know, Mm -hmm. do all of these things. It's so much easier to, um, I don't want to be, you know, hateful and say, find an excuse. But if you're setting your sights on something large like that, it is easy to dismiss it and say, that's just not possible. Not in my schedule. I've got you know, my child is four years old and running around and i never get a break and all of that but you're right i mean we are all in the car at least once a day um you know there's stop light stop signs that's an excellent piece of advice i hadn't even thought of to just ground yourself at the stoplight and take a deep breath and enjoy that little moment of of peace that you have so um yeah wonderful i mean i even put skylar in the car and he's not very even at a young age or his old age, he's, uh, he doesn't sit still very easily, um, in the back seat, but I'll even just put him in the car and my husband will, and we just go driving around to nowhere. We just drive around just to get out of this house and Mm -hmm. just whatever, um, listen to the music we all like that makes us smile and laugh and whatever, just to go somewhere. I think sometimes getting out of the boundaries of your home is, is a break in itself because especially with COVID right now, I, I'm so tired Mm. of looking at my house. (laughs) Like, and I think my husband's sick of it too, because I keep doing home improvement stuff. I'm changing things and (laughs) remodeling things. He's like, oh my gosh, you've got to stop. (laughs) Yeah. You're not alone. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's, that's great. I hate that it took like panic attacks and like serious health issues for you to, to allow yourself those breaks, but it's, that's a, it's a good indicator of why it's so important that we all take the time that we need, because your body will let you know that you need it if you don't do it. So yeah. yikes. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, obviously I've mentioned before that you have four sons and they're all older now with Jack being 16 um, and being the youngest. Um, but when they were growing up and, and you touched on some of it in the book, but um, you mentioned a statement about one of your sons, um, Aiden, um, and I don't know if these are their names or if you used other names, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but he, that he is, um, was a high achiever, super independent. Uh, it just reminded me so much of my daughter. Um, and I wondered if the boys all have kind of taken on perfectionism and, and other, independent traits to kind of keep the burden off of you guys for having to worry about them in any way because there was a lot going on with Jack growing up or um, have you noticed those things with each of your boys?
1: Yeah, I I think for, you know, I definitely, definitely with Aiden for sure. I think it's part of his personality as well. Like I think that that definitely is a component of just who he is, but I also, think that the environment of having a brother, and he shared a room with him as well. So he still actually shares a room with him, much to his dismay, but they still <laughs> share a room together. And, um, you know, I, I think for sure, for sure that him looking at his brother and and what I didn't realize, um, you know, and, and, you know, retrospect now looking back is that when you have a child that has behaviors or, a diagnosis. Um, and you like, so that's so let me backtrack. So when you grow up with a brother, it's all you've known. He's always been that way. And then when he starts to have these behaviors and these things happen, and you have some similar diagnoses, like all of my kids have ADHD or have that diagnosis, I should say. So they're looking at him like, oh my God, do I have autism? You know, so there was a lot of things that weren't said sometimes that I, you know, cause I'm focused on Jack and getting his stuff squared away and whatever, not, not tuning in all the time to what they are taking from the, you know, reflecting back to themselves because they're all part of the genetic pool that is my husband and, and myself. So there, were, I think they did t- take some of that Reflection of like, oh geez, well Jack is this way. Does that mean I'm that way? So I think some of their behaviors or how they've navigated their lives has been a reaction in us in a in a in a way to the situation to the high anxiety that was in our house for uh, you know a couple years. You know, I don't. You know, and, and, you know, looking back, I think, man, I wish that would have been different in terms of how it impacted them. Uh, because, you know, uh, as a mom, you want it to be roses and, 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 and you know, hot chocolate, right? You want it, it all to be nice for everybody. But the reality was, is that it wasn't, it, you know, at least for a year, it was really hard. Um, and they, they were in it with us. Um, and so, yeah, so to answer your question, I think that the anxiety uh, that pro- gets produced in situations, I think that was part of what triggered the perfectionism. I also think that Aiden was, was kind of pre predetermined in, in that way anyway, he really cares, he's really invested, he's a good student, you know? So it just kind of amplified it for him. Um, but yeah, they, they all have a touch of it. Aiden just has the most. <laughs> <laughs> how, how old is um,
0: Patrick, um, the oldest? The oldest is 23. Oh, 23. Okay. So they are pretty close in age together, 23 to 16. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah. So it's like 20, 23, 21,
0: 17, and
1: 16.
0: Has um your oldest said anything to you now that he's in his 20s um just about his childhood and growing up like you know I always and Kendall she's 15 and she does occasionally still say things to me like just randomly like you know I was angry about this but now that I'm older I understand xyz whatever it was the situation that I did when they were little um a choice that I made or something um and I just imagine over time with age that when she's in her twenties and she's in and out of college and she's starting her own life and her career that I hope that she someday says to me, especially when she becomes a mother that, you know, she appreciates everything that I did to try to make her life as normal as possible and to give her, you know, the best. The best parenting that I can give her with her brother taking up so much of my time and that she's not, I wouldn't imagine she'd be resentful at an, at an older age that she would understand it better. But I think that's my biggest concern. And probably a lot of mom's concerns is that they don't want their kids to ever grow up resentful or just feel like they were slighted in any way. So has Patrick been open with you at all? Um, I don't know if it's different for boys versus girls yeah i mean
1: he certainly has been growing up over the past few years and um you know i i think that there is a level of looking back and seeing like so he mentioned not too long ago that the younger two have braces and the older two didn't get braces for many, a few reasons, because we couldn't afford it at the time. And we were dealing with Jack and all of these things. And for the younger two, it wasn't, a, it wasn't about aesthetics. It was about, they needed it because their jaws were small and there was a number of reasons why. And so, um, and he had mentioned, oh, well, you know, you never said I could have braces. And I was like, okay. I'm like, well, do you want them now? Can, can, we, can we give that to you now? you know what I mean so it it, there are there are times when it does bubble up and and I go oh we didn't you know there's this fairness kind of um thing that bubbles up and 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 I'm trying you know I've had to let go of the guilt or I guess guilt yeah the guilt of what I didn't or wasn't able to do and sometimes it's still it's still uh you know bubbles up a little bit, but because I did the very best I could and they they know, you know, if you ask my older children, they absolutely know that I I love them and, and want the world for them and always have, but it was just a hard situation and it wasn't perfect. It was messy. And I can't I can't carry that with me for the rest of my life, looking back of the ways in which I didn't show up for my kids. Um, I actually had to work through that. I mean, that wasn't something that I was like, Oh, well, I'm just not going to feel guilty. No, I, I did a year of therapy (laughs) over that. You know what I mean? Like I went, I went, (laughs) I yeah, I dived into that. You know what I mean? Like I did some writing about that, you know? So, because it was really, it was making me feel awful. And, I'm not here to feel awful. I don't want, you know what I mean? Like that's not the life I want to live. And I had to forgive myself. And, and I think a lot of parents in, you know, in general or human beings, we have to come to this place or we have this time and space that is present, you know, presented to ourselves on this journey of life that is an invitation to, okay, you're either going to forgive yourself or you're going to beat yourself up with that information. For a period of time until you let
0: it go. Yep. I completely agree with that. You know, therapy so, is a good thing. Yes, <laughs> I know. I'm I'm all about therapy to that. today. <laughs> yep. Yes. Yep. It's done me wonders. Um, well, before we um conclude, I just wanted to um mention a little bit more about you. And and um I, I think it's phenomenal that you um Created the integrated preschool classroom um, with the Montessori uh, school that you uh, were part of. Are you still? Is that still going strong? And I guess you're absent from that. Are you consulting on that, or can you yeah. tell a little bit about what you're doing right now?
1: Well, that actually was a. It was a special needs program. It was a very small uh, day school and uh, program for special needs uh, children. That had some integration. Um, kids from the community would would come in that were considered, you know, typical typical learners. Um, and that was I just did that for a year. I I you know I I birthed the program. It was very small, very very small, and it just didn't really it didn't really um, you know kind of. Gain traction and you know programs like that take years and years and years and money and investments and you know that's the stuff we didn't really have at the time because we were such a small program and the support just wasn't there. So I had to make the decision, you know whether at the time which was 2017 whether I was going to go back and and go at it another year. Or I was going to shift my focus and get this book out, and so I felt like, how can I reach? How can how can my my service be the best? The, have the most impact? And I felt like writing the book would have more impact. So I, that's when I shifted gears, and I I actually left my job, and changed my career to being to being a writer. Well,
0: and you're a good writer, too.
1: <laughs> oh, well, thanks. Yeah, it was something I know it's a labor of love,
0: right? <laughs> yeah, well,
1: it was something I was always, um, I always wanted to do. Um, I majored in English in college. I always kept a journal, you know, it wasn't a new, it wasn't out of the ordinary for me to, to, to go into this line of work. It was just something that scared the heck out of me. And I thought I could never do it because my grammar is terrible. I could never do it because, you know, you have the list of reasons why. And the beautiful thing was, is that because the story I felt would help so many people, um, and educate people that that was, that was the momentum that pushed me forward. You know what I mean? And like, I, it gave me the permission, I think, to shift my career path and to to, to, to do this. So it's, it's beautiful.
0: Yeah, it is. And um, we're just so grateful that you shared your life with us, because I know that there's going to be someone that can relate almost word for word with your story. And those of us like me who have the other end of the spectrum, but could also relate to a lot of the struggles that you've gone through with the schools and just in your family and with therapists and all the things. So um, I'm just, I'm thrilled that you put pen to paper and decided to publish your story because we need more and more of them. And for people that don't have this life, um, you know, for them to read our books and to recognize what's going on in other people's homes that you maybe don't understand and show a little bit of compassion and, you know, understanding for situations that are different than yours. So hopefully we can educate some people. <laughs> Absolutely. 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 Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Again, uh, Nicole Donovan's book is A Life Suspended, and you can get that on Amazon. And where else can they get the uh, book?
1: You can get it. I always say you can get it where all good books are sold. So you can get it uh, on IndieBound. If you want to go that route, you can go to your local independent bookstore
0: and order it. And you can also go on Barnes and Noble. Awesome. Perfect. Well, I will link up that information. And um, I really appreciate you. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Living the Sky Life and will tune in for the next episode coming soon. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Living the Sky Life podcast within Apple Podcast, Spotify, and Google Play so you'll receive alerts when new episodes are released. Subscribing is the best way to ensure you don't miss a single episode. If you like what you hear, be sure to select the five-star rating, provide feedback, and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for listening.